0: The content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice.
1: This is Sissy. And this is Susan, and we are... Function Junction. Behavior Matters. Behavior Does Matter. I'm so excited because we have some, a couple of ladies with us that you've known for a really long time.
2: I am so thrilled for Lindsay and Cheryl to be here. I told Lindsay, you've been a... a, subject of so many stories on this podcast that we had to get you here and Cheryl you have been a subject of lots of podcasts I just haven't mentioned your name but you know when we talked about the vomit being my trigger it was this lovely lady Cheryl who was the person dealing with the vomit as I was gagging outside in the classroom saying (laughs) yeah keep doing that keep doing that so welcome we're so thrilled that you're here Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, Lindsay, you are a teacher and you teach students who are on the autism spectrum, yes?
3: Yes, I work in a self-contained um, classroom that really focuses on behavior and communication. And
2: you're in a local school district. And Cheryl, you have retired from that local school district. Oh, yes, I have. You want to tell us about your job when you were working.
0: Well, when I was working, I was well, from when I first started working with Lindsay, my title was a facilitator and it ended up morphing into it became an autism specialist position. But my job basically was support for teachers in the classroom, support for the students in the classroom. And you know, I was telling Susan not too long ago the, the first thing I discovered when I left the classroom and went into the district level position was, I thought everybody did what I did. yeah, <laughs> And I thought everybody had the same mindset that I had. And it took me about two campuses to realize, ooh, I have to change my mindset here. Yes. But I loved what I did. I loved working with the teachers and it also kept me connected to the students. So when anytime I went to one of your trainings, Susan, and I learned something new, I could go into a classroom and try it, and <laughs> model it. It was fun. It was
2: sweet. Cheryl, you were so good at what you do. And you know, we worked together for many, many years, setting up classrooms mm-hmm. and setting up programs. And um, you have taught me so much over the years, but you were really gifted in what you did. And Lindsay, you know, I want to kind of hear about your class and some of the things you're dealing with. And and if you want to talk about your little boy, Frankie, that's fine too. But Lindsay is the teacher who I refer to all the time. Sissy as having some really, 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 really tough kids, like really tough. You know, when I talked about Nathan and his spitting behavior, this was the team that I was working with. And Cheryl was the one who, determined the function of it being attention. And Lindsay was the teacher who actually put it on social extinction. And we joke all the time because I don't know if my memory is as accurate as history really happened, but it's okay. It still makes for a good story. So Lindsay, tell us what you're doing now. I know you've got kiddos. I swung by your class really briefly earlier this year, and I got to see some of your little lovelies.
3: Sure. Um, I have students ranging from kindergarten all the way up to fourth grade right now. Um, And they are really a wide range of skill sets and skill levels. Um, I have two students who are just working on manding or requesting um, and some of those pre-learning skills, ready to learn skills for let's learn to stay in our area Um, Let's learn how to match identical objects and identical pictures and imitate. And then I have other students who are kind of closing the gap in their reading skills and starting to catch up to grade level peers with their reading skills as long as I can provide them with those um, accommodations and supports that are unique to autism learners. So it's really fun. And my day is just a big range of things that I get to work on.
2: Yeah, I was in your classroom, Mm -hmm. and I actually took pictures of your schedules, and it's so cool. Talk about differentiating. She's got um, some schedules in written words. She's got Mm -hmm. some with pictures. She's got some with pictures and words, and um, just really differentiating. Did y'all hear the new statistic from Center for Disease Control, 1 in 44? Mm -hmm. Yes. According to 2018, so it's probably even higher now, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, Lindsay, are you going to be able to get any of your your little ones who are whose gaps are closing out into Gen Ed? Um,
3: we are working on that. I think we have a plan in place for one student. Um, looking forward to seeing how that goes. And I just completed an annual assessment for another student and started writing his goals, and went, "Wow, I'm going to have to start looking at some Gen Ed." T- based on this progress Um, I've been working with him for so long and he's been doing so well that for some reason it didn't sink in until I looked at his data and then looking at his data I said hey maybe I need to look at more for him that was really exciting to see I was working on that at midnight last night so um (laughs) it was really exciting to look at that and And see that progress in numbers.
2: Yes. And I love that you're making database decisions, you know, and I know you work closely with the teacher who works with those kids who spend more time in gen ed, who have less academic needs. So it'll be a really smooth transition if and when,
3: you know, that happens. So yes, I'm really excited for these students. It's so much fun to watch them blossom. And it's also been fun to watch the general education peers take to them. It is so neat. Well, that's exciting. That
2: That is fun to see the progress in your kids because I know you've seen a lot of kids over the years. How long
3: have you been a teacher, uh, Lindsay? This is my ninth year in the classroom. Um, I started out as a resource teacher for half a year and quickly realized that that was not the placement um, where I should be. It was an inappropriate placement for me. I mean, yeah, me too. Um, me too. When I was a teacher, I was a
2: resource teacher and I was like, yeah, no, I need to do something different. I got into
3: the self-contained autism program as quickly as I could. Absolutely loved it. Um, My family and I moved out of state and I ended up taking a position in what they called the multi-handicap classroom, which would be medically fragile um, students who have some significant health needs. I did that for a year. I did a life skills unit for a year. Um, And then I stayed home with my babies and decided that I was ready to come back into the classroom and knew that... I needed to be back in the the autism unit. Um, I knew that that was where I belonged. That's where my skill set has me. And that's where God wants me. Absolutely.
2: So <laughs> funny, Cheryl. I don't know if I, don't think I ever told you the story. So during COVID, this past year, I believe it was, yeah, it was last year, we were meeting virtually with the, the special teams, right? So we were meeting with the BCBAs and the
3: mm-hmm. autism
2: specialists remotely. And it was so funny because... They were talking about this student who had some really significant behavioral needs and they had a camera on them and they were in the classroom. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Lindsay. When did, when did you get back? Oh, my God. What, when, what, how, you're back. I was never so happy to see someone's face in my entire life. I was like, where have you gone? Where did you do? You're back. Oh my God, she's back. Oh my God. I was like so excited. I was telling the BCBAs and the specialists, like, this is the best teacher ever, you're ever, ever going to have, you know? And um, it was, I, I didn't know that you were back. They said Lindsay, but I didn't put two and two together. So, Cheryl, talk to us a little bit about some of the um, the stressors of being a district-wide out-of-the-classroom teacher. Did you do you a specialist? Do you have anything that
0: you could kind of share from that perspective? Well, I think probably the most challenging thing for me was whenever I had so many needs in so many different locations. I mean, yeah. one year I had two classrooms that did not have teachers at all. Yeah. So I was running between. I had to go set up one, get everything running, run to the other, and then back and forth which meant that I wasn't able to get to those other teachers that were doing okay. Yeah. Really the teachers that were great. I seldom got to see even though they wanted to see me at times. So Mm -hmm. that was probably my greatest stressor, but I will tell you it was the thrill of my life was when I came across a teacher like Lindsay. I will never forget when I first met her at that classroom that she was assigned to that she took the position. Well she asked. It was, for it. it was in shambles. It was horrible. And I had gone in and had I mean we had to set everything up. We had to set up the entire physical environment. We had to start working on all the visuals, identifying the children were all stressed and crying and we had I mean it was the saddest situation.
2: It was horrible.
0: And I I I found out okay we had a teacher And I mean, I knew that they had a resource teacher on the campus that had been there for a semester. They said that my first thought was, oh, another newbie. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) But at the same time, I walked in and she was sitting there with that most challenging student Mm
2: -hmm. Nathan,
0: using her phone and collecting data on her phone. And I just got goosebumps. I just went. Who are you and where did you come from? I know. I know but are where,
1: you where they came from. I
0: know, because most times when I get a I got a new teacher, you started from scratch. Yep. And you yep. had to to build everything. I mean, a lot of them came with the knowledge. They might have even had a few skills, but they needed a lot of support. Yeah. Really, I didn't have to. I could say, okay, well, let's let's try this. And she would do it. And okay, it worked. It didn't work. Well, <laughs> let's try this. And it got to the point that I didn't have to go back.
2: I remember because I remember coming to the campus mm-hmm. soon after Lindsay started and you were like, she's probably one of the best teachers I've ever met in my entire life. Oh, my gosh. How did we find her? Blah blah blah. Because that was a hard situation. It was, you yeah, know, was I've told the story and, and, and mm-hmm. before and it was it was sad and it was hard and mm-hmm. it was tough for everybody, the principal, everybody. Um, but if it hadn't been for Lindsay, I don't think we would have gotten out of that situation as easy. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been much more problematic, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Cheryl, what have you been doing since, um, you retired?
0: Actually, I've been doing as little as possible.
2: Now, what did you do this summer?
0: Uh, This summer, my husband and I traveled for three months. We, we took our travel trailer and we went west. And uh, it was a nice time, except for I don't handle mountains too well. The altitudes tended to to bother me, but it, it was really nice. We were trying to hit as many of the national parks as possible. That's so cool. And then just starting in November, I'm did a I'm doing a short-term uh, consulting contract with uh, another school district with a new teacher in That's a cool new classroom that. with a lot of students, kind of what I've always done. And I will finish up that on... January the 3rd we're doing a final training on data awesome well do you want to talk a little bit about that situation and how it's going well it's a brand new teacher she was a para and uh, at another school I got a call from um, the director they were very concerned because you know they didn't see any of the structure in the classroom they didn't see any of the visuals there was way too much talking which I think all of us at some point harp on just stop talking people so I said, sure. It sounded like what I was, I could do and I like to do. So um, the first day I went, I just did a lot of observation and oh my, yes, the room was very chaotic. There were nine children. It was like herding cats and I don't know, the ladies were lovely. I mean, they were working so hard, but I thought they have to be exhausted by 11 in the morning. Yeah. So then the next day was the staff development day. So we did some training on, uh, Setting up the physical environment, and then in the afternoon we went into the classroom, and I had them set up the environment based on what we had discussed. It was funny; they would put things in an area, and I'd say, "Okay, step back, think about this, think about this, think about this," and they go, "Well, that's not going to work." It really was a very productive training session. Since then, I've been going back. We put da- I put data collection sheets in place for them. I've done individual trainings with individual pairs because all the pairs but one are brand new. And um, they told me that the first day after we put the environment in place, and we did a ticket, I'm sorry, let me back up. We did a ticket system for the students because we didn't have time that day to set up visuals. We just ran out of time. So I had everybody, we color coded all of the areas of the classroom, said everybody gave them a ticket, train them how to go to those areas. And they said the first day that they did that, the chaos in the room decreased by about 80%. The kids loved it. That, and yeah. when I went back then, those students were transitioning by themselves. The teachers would hand them a yellow ticket and that kid go to the yellow zone, that one go to the purple, where they were supposed to go. I love it, it was wonderful. It's amazing.
2: And you know, they they need it. You know, they yeah. love that structure. They love that predictability. Mm-hmm. They love that routine, just like us, right? Like I, but mm-hmm. But we talk about this all the time, Sissy, you and I, about how it doesn't ruin my day if I don't have it, right? I get upset, I get, might get uncomfortable, but it doesn't destroy my day. But for kids on the spectrum, it, it really does. And it's like, I'll never forget the first time I saw a kid smile was when we set up a room with structure. And he I, I'd never seen him smile, ever. So talk to us a little bit about the ticket system, because I'm not sure our listeners would quite understand what that means.
0: Well, they had some visual schedules on the walls that the students, obviously they must at some time had attempted to use, but they had no icons. They had no words. There was nothing. It was just one or two pictures. I knew we had to get the students accustomed to going to their designated area when it was time. Right. So the teacher actually put a timer on the computer yeah and when the timer went off everyone had all of the colored tickets in their their pockets Good. some of them had fanny packs some of them had it was just color color cut the adults you mean right the adults did little colored cards that we cut out of construction paper and laminated yeah and so when the timer went off they had a, a little schedule who went where mm-hmm. and they would just hand that child a yellow ticket yeah. And they would go over to the yellow zone. They would drop it in a little yellow bin and then they would go in and sit down.
2: Cheryl, you were always so good about setting that up. I remember years ago you did it and I was like, well, don't mm-hmm. they need pictures? And you were like, we don't, we don't have time. We don't have time. <laughs> Do you get colored, colored areas, colored rotations? Mm-hmm. And it, ah, it works so well. you That's one of the major things you taught me is that it doesn't have to be pretty printed out laminated mm-hmm. pictures. It can just be a darn color. You know,
1: I think about a lot about what you were just saying is, you know, it it helped 80% of the chaos of the room. Mm -hmm. You know, behavior is communication and the visuals are communication. You know, Mm -hmm. the kids are telling us, this doesn't make sense to me. And then getting the supports in place, now this makes sense to me. And so they don't have to use
0: their behavior to say, I don't understand what you want me to do. It was so clear when I went back to Observe, I was just dumbfounded how quickly they were making that transition. And nine kids, I'd say at least five of them were doing it independently.
2: That's so fine. And I bet it was reinforcing to the adults as well, right? Because they don't live in chaos anymore.
0: One of the parents who's brand new, she's a sweet little girl, looked at me and she said, I love this. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. we're not done yet.
2: Yeah. That really is a gift of mm-hmm. Sissy and yours, of your Cheryl. That's not a strength for me. Um, I usually have Sissy come with me when I have to set up a classroom. Cause uh, like Blair, our, our friend Blair who just passed the BCBA exam <laughs> yesterday. Um, she's really gifted at setting up rooms and Sissy and Cheryl. And I know you are too, Lindsay, it's just not a strength of mine, but um, I was going to ask you something else. Oh, with regard to the data collection, how did the adults respond to the whole idea of collecting data? Because I know for some teachers, that's that's probably one of the hardest parts of the job. So how did you... I
0: think they're somewhat overwhelmed right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, the system that this teacher was given doesn't really tell her anything. Basically, it's just a, a checkoff box. Basically, I did it or I didn't do it. Mm. And when I was going through what we needed to collect data on and how we would then be able to analyze it, she went, oh, that makes so much more sense. I said, yes, it does. So I knew she, when I looked at the students' behavior IEPs, they were not really very badly written. I was very pleased with good. How, how good some of them were. But I knew that there was not one form that's going to do it. There was one child even had a goal that was written, written on an intensity scale. Yeah. So I thought, I'm just going to do these for them and yeah. then I will train them how to use them.
2: Yeah, I think that's the easiest thing to do is just make them because, I, you know, no one form is going to work. I was uh-huh. on a classroom today. Oh, my gosh. It was um, quite the experience. I really literally felt like I was in the twilight zone. It was very strange. And it was in the land far, far away from here. But, um, uh, wow, the kiddo was laying on the floor. He likes to pick the glue behind the um, floorboard. You know, it pulls off the black floorboard and picks the glue. And um, we were talking about replacements, you know, maybe get him some of that paste, you know, and put it on a laminated surface and let him pick that or like rubber cement, things like that. But anyway, nevertheless, he got finally got up and he got to his desk and the teacher was working on two-digit plus two-digit addition. And I was like, wow, is that in his IEP? And she goes, yeah. And so I got a copy of his IEP, y'all. It was like copy 50 words, copy 50, five zero words, copy 15 sentences. This is a fourth grader who is pretty much has, I mean, his vocal skills include requesting two pretzels, two pretzels, two pretzels. And they wanted him to copy 15. I talked to the director, like, just before we started this and I said, wow, we just need to start from scratch (laughs) and just redo the VIP, redo the IEP, Mm -hmm. redo the classroom, redo everything, you know, but yeah. So, you know, the point is, is that if you don't have a well-written IEP, your data collection becomes almost Mm -hmm. impossible. And Lindsay, I see you shaking your head. Talk to us about what's going through your head.
3: The importance of referring back to accurate assessment data Mm -hmm. on usable assessments to determine the next steps for IEP skill writing. Um, I I think sometimes I inherit IEPs for students that read like that a lot and it's um, I, I know it seems daunting as a classroom teacher and time intensive to take the time to sit down and give a full ABLES assessment or a full Brigance assessment. But once that assessment is done, it, you know, it doesn't take but 45 minutes to identify where the skill deficits or where are, where the holes and those are the IEPs that I'm going to focus on. Um, I gave, I spent a whole day giving an assessment to a student yesterday, only to discover that his, his skills were far beyond what I really knew they were. He had made so much progress in the last year and gained skills that I hadn't explicitly taught. And if I hadn't given that assessment, I never would have known that.
2: Exactly. So, And just to clarify for our listeners, the ABLES is the assessment of basic language and learning skills. And the Brigance is, and Cheryl, I'm going to let you describe the Brigance because I know you know it well, better than me.
0: It's basically a criterion reference. It's an assessment that does the skills in academic areas, even though it does also cover some personal self-help or uh, motor skills. Yeah, yeah. But there's different levels and Green for the elementary is generally just academics.
2: Yeah. 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 And Lindsay, I love that you said that because, Uh you know, we do inherit kids and IEPs and along with those kids and IEPs comes um, a full and individual evaluation. And, you know, in my experience, when I've worked Mm on with a team, you know, that can be 60, 70 pages long and it's hard to Really go through and get to those recommendations and eke out those recommendations and then put IEPs into place. Yeah. So I love that you're doing your own evaluations um, to get your own, like pre and post data, which is fantastic. And have you um, had an opportunity to build capacity on your campus to show other people? How to use the Brigants and the Ables?
3: We are working on that, actually. Um, I've been working with one of my resource teachers who's going to help me um, start to do some transition planning for a student to help them access the general education curriculum a little bit more. Um, and, And I was working with him on that Brigant because he... Um, just wasn't quite familiar with how I was deriving the IEP goals from the brigants, as well as looking at the ABLES because the ABLES really focuses on a lot of language skills and a lot of the students that are coming out of my room may have some good academic skills, but language and communication are a deficit or a weakness that we can work on and build on and the ABLES can help identify the discrete skills and for doing that. So yeah. showing him what those discrete, that the task analysis of those communication skills is, was kind of an aha moment for him. Like, oh, yeah. that's why I need to work on that. Yeah. yeah. The <laughs> ABLEs is
2: a really nice assessment tool that breaks skills down into their distinct, I mean, like you said, discrete, discrete, discrete. It's not request. It's you know, request desired items when in the presence of the desired item. Request the desired item when not in the presence of the desired mm-hmm. item. Like it really breaks it down.
1: Boy, those are some nice ladies. Aren't I, I awesome. know that those who are listening are
2: enjoying listening to Cheryl and Lindsay talk. So I, much passion and compassion for kids of, you know, all ages and all abilities. You know, it's just it's so I swear I wish you could contract in that school district and just go to Lindsay's class for a minute and just sit and watch because she's just she's so positive and so cheerful. And she's honestly always like that. Like she's always like that. She's always been like that. She's just and Cheryl is, you know, the consummate autism specialist. I just adore both of those ladies. They're wonderful.
1: Yeah, I have a question that fits where we are in, in the course of our conversation, because we're going to get to continue uh, some of this conversation next week. But. Yes, yes. <laughs> so here's the question. Cheryl talked about helping a teacher set up her classroom. She created zones with colors in the area to make it you know, very obvious, like the yellow zone and the red zone, with work in those different areas for the students to do. Yes. Uh, until they, they were kind of in a hurry to get things up and running for those kiddos. So, until they could get schedule pictures ready and all that kind of stuff, they used colored tickets um, to give to the students to take them to those different areas for their work. In this scenario, the colors used in the different zones of area represent A, a stimulus prompt, B, response generalization, C, response prompt or d stimulus generalization
2: it's a great question you know i mean i think we can rule out a couple so you know it really didn't she didn't really talk anything at all about generalization across prompts or across responses so i think we can rule out response generalization and stimulus generalization you know yes. this is this gets to be tricky because the visual cue was a prompt for the student to respond, right? So some people might get confused and say, oh, well, then it's a response prompt. But really, it was a stimulus prompt to teach them. That's the stimulus to take me to a, the different areas of the room. So it would be yeah. a stimulus yeah. prompt.
1: Right. The The colors... That they put up in those areas, like the red zone, had red everywhere. Yes, is the stimulus to the stimulus is go to that area to work. Right, right. The prompt of the stimulus is all the color to say, "Sure, here it is. This is where I want you to go." Um, yeah. So a stimulus prompt. I know. I, I do remember looking at questions. When I was going through the test and being like, is it a stimulus prompt? Is it a response? What is happening? Because almost everything is a stimulus. <laughs> right. And a whole bunch of things are responses.
2: So, um, Right. But the tickets yeah. themselves, when the adults give the students the tickets, those tickets are the response prompts. Right. Yeah. Because that's the prompt to go into that area of the room. So that's right. kind of how yeah. I differentiate those in my brain.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the ticket is prompting the response. The area says, here I am. And the ticket helps prompt that student to get
2: there. Yeah, perfect. Great. All right. Well, you guys will be we have a great weekend and we look forward to you getting to be able to hear um the rest of the interview with Lindsay and Cheryl. And then we have a, a great little Christmas and a little interview for the following week. So As always, please like, subscribe, share, or comment on social media and or rate and review us on the podcast app that you're using. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Please come back next Friday. Bye.